Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Hokie Hangover Podcast. I am your host, Andrew Alex from ESPN Blacksburg, SIsAllHokies.com, and generally the internet. Our other two hosts, both also from SIsAllHokies.com. First, we have Mike McDaniel, the recently engaged Mike McDaniel. Mike, congratulations, and how you doing, buddy? What's going on, guys? How we doing? Living the dream. All the way from the 757, we got Ricky LeBlue. Ricky, what's going on, Doug? Uh, not much, Mikey. I haven't been able to talk to you actually in person since you got engaged. So congratulations. That's awesome. Thank you, buddy. I appreciate that. Yeah. We have another special guest today. He is one of the premier college football predictors in all of the land, if not the most accurate predictor from pick six previews. We have Brett Ciancia. Brett, it's good to have you on, man. Yeah, guys, thanks for inviting me on. Uh, I'm excited to talk some Virginia Tech, talk some ACC. Um, you know, I'll hunker down from December till June, six months right in this thing. And uh, once you once it goes on sale there, it's like a light switch and it's talking season. So I'm really excited. Uh, tons of shows across the country. And uh, this is my first Virginia Tech one. So really pumped about it. So, Brett, just just some background. How did you get into the business of doing these previews and you you seem to have had a lot of success. What's your methodology behind all this, and and how have you gotten these accolades? Yeah, thanks so much. Uh, it, it started really as a passion. I mean, I've always loved college football growing up, um, and I used to buy all those preseason magazines you see on newsstands and listen to all the shows across the country and everything. And I started to realize, I mean, I, I felt like some of these national guys could have dove in a bit deeper and you know dig deeper into the details. Uh, everyone likes to talk about Alabama and Clemson, but um, I'm interested, and I think the readers out there are interested in all 65 Power 5 programs. So um, I wanted to take it a, a step a step deeper. Um, so what goes into my process is, um, oh, real quick, I launched it in 2012, Pick 6 Previews, and over those first seven seasons, I was graded the most accurate Power 5 prediction in the country. Uh, that's compared to all the ones on newsstands and online. That's not just me saying it. That's Stassen.com who grades these publications for decades. So uh, that was the start. Last year, 2019, I put together my first comprehensive book, uh, all 65 Power 5 teams, like I said. Uh, after, the, after the 2019 edition, I was selected to become a Heisman voter. So here we are back, 2020. Um, so what goes into the book, really, it's a combination of a lot of things. It's a, a ton of film study. Uh, it's calls with coaches and coordinators, uh, spring games. Um, I developed my advanced stats and analytics, but really I like to put it back into readable terms because it gets boring reading how, you know, Virginia Tech is 0.12x and X metric. You know, what's it actually mean? What's it telling us? And I, I try and strike a nice balance of numbers and, you know, the X's and O's and 
putting it into readable terms. So that's what goes into it. And um, I, I, I hope that that passion pops off the page throughout the book on, on all these programs. So for you, I think what most of our listeners want to know from a guy that has done deep research on every Power 5 team is how do the Hokies stack up against them? And nobody Nobody in the New River Valley likes the Hokies more than our sponsor, Main Street Pharmacy. Main Street Pharmacy in downtown Blacksburg, Virginia, is the premier pharmacy in the New River Valley. If you want a pharmacy that treats you like a neighbor rather than a number, head on down to Main Street Pharmacy. They'll give you better service than the big corporate folks over at CVS, Rite Aid, and otherwise. And Dr. Jeremy Counts, the head pharmacist and owner there, loves the Hokies and hates Boston College's Matt Ryan, more than anyone I know. Main Street Pharmacy, the official pharmacy of the Hokie Hangover podcast. Sorry, had to do a little sponsor plug there, but you, you, you've you obviously done a ton of research on all, all of these teams. And you have Virginia Tech coming in right at number 25. Obviously, a lot of returning production. How, how do you see the Hokies stacking up just generally this season? What, what, what do you see in them? Yeah, you're right. I had them at uh, number 25, right in there in the top 25. Um, what really stuck out, to, what stuck out to me about Virginia Tech last year, um, looking at the numbers and the film, is really the the halfway point, the the switch, uh, the quarterback switch to Hendon Hooker, um, and what that did. He was he he ended up six and two as a starter. Tech was two and three without him. Um, but more so than just that win loss boost, uh, you look at the the points per game. Uh, they were, you know, bottom 100, and then they were, with Hooker, they were top 15. Um, in my game grader metric, which looks at scoring differential, yardage differential per play, uh, explosiveness, those kind of metrics, um, they moved up from bottom 10 to top 20 with, without Hooker to then when they had Hooker. So um, I think that, you know, and, and then also on, on a team level, they were the number one improved team when you look at the first half of the season to the second half of the season. And that, that's no coincidence. It's around that quarterback move. So, um, I'm looking for them to continue that second half push, you know, the, the, the high grades we saw there towards the end of the year. Um, even the losses were close. When you look back, the Notre Dame game was within a point. Um, the UVA game, I don't want to bring that up on this show, but still that was, that was a 50, 50 game and the Kentucky bowl game, a touchdown game. So, uh, I want to look at that, that second half Virginia tech that really surged at the end of the year and proved mid season, uh, to extend that into now hooker's second season as a starter. Um, you know, and then a lot of returning production on both sides of the ball, especially defensively, um, where even during the, the, the coordinator shift, I think they're going to take a, a big step forward. So a lot of positive momentum. So when I'm looking at all these teams, that's something that stands out is the, the momentum. Um, and I know they switch coordinators technically on, on defense, but he's kind of keeping the same uh, scheme and attitude. So really just the, the, the program continuity from year to year stands out when you look across the landscape. Brett, with you being kind of a, I guess, an outsider, not being on the tech beat or having to to talk to fans that are that are tech crazy all the time, I'm really curious to get your opinion on the program over the last four years. I mean, this is a this is a pretty polarizing period for Virginia Tech fans, at least on social media. Um, it's very rare to find fans in the middle. You've got a contingent who are extremely pleased with the the four seasons that Justin Fuente's put together and are confident that Fuente can continue to improve and, and uphold a standard of of eight to ten wins a season, which has kind of been the norm in Blacksburg 
for most of the last 20 to 25 years, obviously not including that stretch um, in the mid 2000s or excuse me, the mid 2010s. But then there's another section of the fan base that is uh, very disappointed in what Justin Fuente's done. They're not seeing a lot of improvement. They see regressions in multiple areas of the program. So from your perspective, as someone who can see Virginia Tech relative to the rest of the country, how has Virginia Tech, I guess, progressed from year one of Justin Fuente to year four? And what kind of track is the program on right now in your eyes? Yeah, it's, that's interesting. Um, so I think first off, it's worth noting, it's it's really tough to replace a legend. Uh, what Frank Beamer did here, uh, one of the you know the longest and consistently successful tenures um, for a head coach. And this is a program that before that, uh, you know, he, he really helped turn them around and turn them into a national power. Um, when you look at those, I think it was uh, 17 seasons, 95 to 2011, they averaged 10 per year, 10 wins per year. Uh, and that's second in all power five, just behind Ohio State. So this was a nationally relevant top five, top 10 program for, you know, almost two decades. So that's a really tough backdrop to be con- compared against. Um, I think also, too, uh, you know, with Bud Foster finally moving on, it's almost like, and this might sound cheesy, but it's almost like with, with Bud Foster leaving, it's almost like the actual um, Beamer era is finally actually closing to me uh, figuratively, because now, you know, now it's in the realm that he is hiring the coordinators, Fuente, uh, and it's becoming more and more his program uh, for better or for worse. So I think with that said, I think 2020 is going to be a major, major um, test for him. He's got, he's got to produce a, a coastal competitive team, uh, eight, nine, ten win range, uh, top 25. They got to start living up to this this potential uh, because it's certainly there. This is a program that you know he he really aced his debut when he comes in after after replacing that legend. Like I talked about, he takes him right to the conference title game. Um, you know, ten wins, top 25 recruiting class, didn't miss a beat. Now from that point, there was some setbacks. 2018, especially, I, I want to make 2018 almost a mulligan. I know the fans don't want to hear that, but what happened defensively, roster-wise, personnel-wise, heading into 2018 is just unprecedented. Um, you looked at all those transfers, the academic issues, the off-the-field issues, injuries, just you name it. I mean, I've never seen an off-season like that heading up to the 2018 season So defensively. So let's throw that out. Let's let's see how the um, you know how the, the Hamilton, I guess you call it a, a coordinator hire, but promotion. Um, you know, starts to put more of a Fuente stamp on the program. And now he's made his quarterback. He's found his quarterback. Um, I feel confident there. So I think this is a major test. I think it's got to be, and, and this might might sway your two parties of fans uh, this 2020 season. Right. To kind of add on to that, um, you, you know, you mentioned the the backdrop of, you know, trying to live up to, to Beamer. And now you're trying to kind of redeem yourself. You know, you try to give – Tech a mulligan as an outsider for 2018 due to everything that happened defensively. Um, and then last year was just very up and down. You know, September didn't go great for Tech, and then things progressed forward, as you mentioned, you know, with Hendon Hooker becoming a starting quarterback. What do you think is the bar for an acceptable season for Virginia Tech this upcoming year as an outsider? I, I know that the season's very much up in the air, and the Penn State game looks like that's canceled because the Big Ten's canceling non-conference games, but just you know, let's say that Virginia Tech plays their full season outside of the Penn State game. What do you think an acceptable record mark is, you know, to kind of get the fans off Fuente's back? Because internally, 
it, you know, just being somebody who covers the program day to day, it seems like almost nothing is good enough outside of like 10 wins, a conference, uh, you know, a conference championship game appearance, and then looking competitive against Clemson. That's what feels like the bar is to some fans, but to others, it's like, okay, let's win nine games. Let's try to get into the, you know, the conference championship game and then just kind of see what happens against Clemson, the powerhouse. I'm just kind of curious how, you know, you frame that as an outsider. Yeah, this is something, I mean, that I've been looking at the ACC for, I guess, throughout the whole Clemson era, the whole Clemson dynasty era. I've been waiting for these normal powers, you know, the powerhouse programs of the ACC to wake up. I mean, where's Florida State? They're up and down. They're firing coaches left and right. Virginia Tech, albeit not as uh, tumultuous coaching-wise, uh, they're not at their, at their you know, 20, uh, 2000s and early 2010s level. Uh, same could be said about Miami. I mean, where, where is Miami falling to? I mean, so I think part of it is, you know, Clemson is the, the alpha dog in the conference. They're not going anywhere. Uh, that dynasty is kind of set. But from there, I mean, I think these other ACC powers, especially in the coastal, I mean, for Virginia Tech, this, this should have been a, a window, a five-year window where Miami's down again. Uh, Georgia Tech's going through one of the biggest coaching scheme changes ever. Um, you know, UNC went through a coaching change. Um, Pitt was down. And so, it, it, looking back, it almost looked like it was almost a wasted opportunity uh, in kind of a down division. Now, you, you look across the division now, I mean, all these coaching hires elsewhere are starting to hit. Uh, it hurts to say on this show, but Bronkenmen Bronco Mendenhall was a great hire there. I mean, he's got them back, you know, playing competitive football, which is rare at UVA. Um, you know, now Pat Narduzzi's defense woke up. So, I mean, now they, they're, they're trotting out a top 10 defense, and they, they'll be a tough out in any game. Um, then now look at UNC, what they're doing recruiting-wise. Uh, offensively, that program looks like it's on a, a, you know, a skyrocket trajectory there. And I do like the Georgia Tech hire. It might not happen in 2020, but 2021 and 22 – uh, the way that he's kind of rebranding Georgia Tech to become almost Atlanta Tech and, and, and keep in all those, um, you know, the, the high school hotbed talent down there, no longer playing to an option scheme. Um, I'm, I'm, you know, it, it's, a, it's a good thing for competitiveness, but it's almost like Virginia Tech might have wasted an opportunity to really, you know, lock in four or five coastal titles in a row and, and elevate this thing up. So now, hey, the competition gets tougher. Uh, they're going to have to really go earn these wins more than, uh, than in years past. And uh, I think it, looking at 2020 specifically, um, now without the Penn State game, I think for the fan base to be fully on board, I think nine and two, um, because looking down here, I mean, Liberty and Middle Tennessee and Northern Alabama, that's, that's three wins easy. Uh, Georgia Tech should be a win. D.C. and Louisville. Louisville might be tough. I mean, that's, that's a great offense. Pitt's got a great defense. Um, you know, Miami is what it is. But they're, they're a lot of roster talent, but by November, well, how would that team look? And then you got to beat Duke, you got to beat UVA. So uh, anything less than nine wins with that slate uh, and, and with missing Clemson in the crossover, I think would be somewhat of a disappointment. Now, now Brett, looking at your, your preview, one team that is in the Coastal right now, and you harped on that Mac Brown hire being so good, and you note in the thing that you actually predicted that and defended it prior to, you know, or when the hire happened. Right now, you have yeah, no, I, as a top 15 team. What do you like so much about the Tar Heels, and why do you see them as clearly the prohibitive favorite in the Coastal? Yeah, so you touched on it there, and I, I see this all the time, every coaching cycle, every uh, coaching carousel. You know, everyone rushes to Twitter and, uh, and fires off tweets about these higher grades and how, how, how these coaching hires went. 
I like to wait a year or two or three or four even and, and start to apply my numbers back, look at the, the context of the program that they inherited um, and start to compare it that way. But uh, when everyone was, was yelling at UNC about the Mac Brown hire, I would say, hey, take a step back. He's, a, he's an ace recruiter. He's a CEO-type head coach. Uh, so look to his coordinator hires to really see the, the, the trajectory of the program. And he, you know, he aced both hires. I mean, Phil Longo, that's a, that's a guy I got to talk to in the preseason uh, coordinator there. Um, his offensive scheme is genius. It's kind of like a Lincoln-Riley system where, yeah, it looks like it's air raid on the outside, but they want to have a downhill punishing run game too. Um, and I think they have all the pieces there offensively this year to take another step. Remember, this was with a true freshman quarterback last year, Sam Howell, um, four-star prospect that they flipped from Florida State. There's that recruiting I touched on. So, um, so yeah, so I think that this offense could be one of the best in the conference. Uh, also, when you look back at, um, at 2019, they had, what, six losses. All of them were by within a score. Um, and that gets all factored in my game grader formula where – yeah, despite going seven and six, they were number 22 in the nation, according to my formula. So, um, because in my opinion, you know, all seven and six seasons aren't created equal. You got to dig into each game, each game, each outcome. A lot of these were coin flip games that they ended up just a, a hair short. You see that tend to reverse in a coach's second season. All that scheme efficiency uh, and roster continuity here, they return almost the entire offense, most of the defense. So, long story short, I like the. You know, second-year bonus there. Uh, a lot of these close games, close losses, I think, will reverse in year two. I uh, love the quarterback, love the skills, uh, skill positions, and I think just an overall, you know, great coordinator hire. So I look for UNC to take a major jump. I don't think anyone else in the country will have them top 15, that's for sure, but uh, I have them number 14 and winning the Coastal. Brett, if, when you look at the ACC Coastal, and, and you can actually extrapolate it to the rest of the ACC if you want, but is there a particular trait of the Virginia Tech program that you've noticed that Tech does better than almost anyone, obviously not including Clemson because it seems like they're doing just about better than anybody these days, but is there any singular part of the Tech program, whether it be player development, um, recruiting in certain cases, um, scheme, it, it, what about the tech program kind of makes them as competitive as they are, or at least as competitive as they can be? Yeah, there's a couple of things that stand out. I think first, um, you know, when you look at player development, one thing that stands out is their, their defensive backs, their DBU argument. They're right there in the mix. Um, since 2000, and a lot of this is the Bud Foster era. In fact, it all is, I think, since 2000. Uh, they're good for number four in the nation in D-backs drafted, 24 uh, drafted over those 20 years. That's more than one per year. So there's definitely a track record defensive back-wise, DBU, um, that then generates more into the general defense. I mean, this is was a defense-first program for that entire two decades. Um, you know, and, and that's kind of the reputation, the lunch pail reputation. I know these are kind of, uh, you know, but, but when you look at a team nationally, that's what people are looking at. Um, and I think that that fits with, um, with the program overall. So I'd say D-backs, player development, um, you know, they, they were right there as one of the top recruiters in the conference, uh, sorry, Coastal Division, right there with Miami. Uh, what, I'm going to try and understand what happened in 2020. They fell down to 72nd. I think that was more so just a small class and numbers thing. But, um, but yeah, when you look at their five-year and 10-year trend recruiting-wise, they're right up there with Miami. Um, you know, another thing, and this might sound cheesy, but really fan support, 
Um, I've been to a game down at Lane Stadium. I was there uh, 2009 against Nebraska. Um, and that wasn't, you know, it wasn't really a notable Nebraska or Virginia Tech team looking back. But just the, the average, you know, fall Saturday in Blacksburg was incredible. Uh, that game really came down to the last play, and the fans were into it the whole way. Um, and before you laugh at that, me throwing fan support into this, that's a major part of the recruiting game. Uh, and that's not, not just me saying it. When you look at what is happening, um, to use a very specific point, but down in Southern California, historically, uh, you know, that's a hotbed of recruiting. Historically, the four- and five-star blue chips used to stay in L.A., in USC and UCLA, at an 80% clip. But now when you look back at the last two or three cycles, it's down to 10%. Um, and I'm not saying that all, you know, that entire shift is because of fan support, but multiple players have come out and said, hey, I don't want to go walk out in front of an empty Rose Bowl uh, UCLA uh, that's filled with opposing fans. I don't want to go into a half-empty Coliseum where the, the media has our coach on the hot seat for two years. So uh, instead they're going to play at places like Washington and Oregon and Utah with just fas- uh, passionate fan bases uh, that, that, you know, give them the attention that they deserve. So long story short, I think the fans are going to be a major player uh, in, in Virginia Tech's progression forward, um, especially when you look across the coastal, when you have some very small alumni networks like Duke, um, you know, UVA is way smaller uh, in terms of a football power. Um, and, and even Miami, surprisingly, doesn't have that big a fan base um, that you see it in their half-empty stadium saw every Saturday anyway. But so I think what stands out, I really, really went on, on this topic, but what stands out to me about Virginia Tech, it's been defense first for 20 years. You're going to keep that aggressive and, and hard-nosed football going. Uh, D-back development, player development, uh, and fan base, because that all cycles back into recruiting pitches. Hey, Brett, at the, at the quarterback position, you talked about Hennon Hooker a little bit off the top and, you know, how the season changed once he took over um, at quarterback for the Hokies last year. I've seen a lot of previews kind of sleep on Hennon Hooker a little bit, and I'm, I'm wondering what you think of Hennon Hooker's potential and his ceiling. Um, because, you know, I look at, you know, some other previews, and it seems like, okay, well, you know, they have all these quarterbacks, Sam Howell and Trevor Lawrence ahead of them, which I understand. But then it's, you know, guys like Cunningham at Louisville, De'Ara King coming over from – um, a group of five school um, coming in all of a sudden, you know, just having that automatically translate over to, to the ACC. I, I just feel like, and then, and even, you know, some, some previews have Kenny Pickett ahead of uh, Hendon Hooker as well, which yeah. I just totally yeah. failed to understand. Yeah. Um, that's, so I'm, that's nonsense. <laughs> yeah. So I, I'm just curious, Brett, what, what you think of Hendon Hooker and his potential and how good do you think he can be? Um, because I think the sky's the limit for him. I do think as he goes, the Hokies go on offense as we saw a year ago. Yeah, that's a great point. I, I think putting Pickett above him is pretty silly uh, based on what we saw in the last couple of years with Pickett, but in the last you know eight games with Hooker. Um, I, I always look for a major boost from a quarterback's first to second season starting, uh, and that's probably talked about across the country, but it, it is true. You're going to see a boost here uh, with more knowledge of the scheme, and conversely, finally, uh, Fuente has a second-year starting quarterback. I thought that, um, you know, because his first, I think, three or four seasons he didn't have that I was hoping for it last year with Ryan Willis that didn't turn out but you know I think maybe finally he gets that second year bonus for the returning quarterback uh yeah so it's funny when I go through my all-conference teams and and unit rankings uh in most conferences I mean Hooker would be up in that top three top four discussion but the ACC it really is low to the quarterback this year uh you can't deny Lawrence Sam Howell really earned a spot there second team Cunningham at Louisville I had third team um you know, the, the NCAA has these official stats on QB rating and efficiency, all these numbers, and 
Uh, you have to have 15 pass attempts per game to be in him. He was just like one pass short. If he had threw one more pass, he would have been number two in the country behind Burrow. So uh, small sample size, but very efficient. Cunningham, Derek King is a highlight highlight reel in a pack uh, in a bottle, um, waiting to happen. But I do have uh, Hooker, you know, and overall the Virginia Tech quarterback unit fifth uh, in my quarterback unit ranks across the conference. So it is what it is. I, I think it's a, it's a solid rank for now. His ceiling, though, just like Cunningham and just like Howell. We'll be seeing these guys in their second year starting, second year within a scheme. Um, and another thing to note, because football is a team game, I really like what's around Hooker for him, you know, to enable him to make a step forward. Because finally, the offensive line looks like a strength. Uh, it has it has been a question mark for quite a few years, but now as that reverses into a strength, I think you'll see, you know, Fuente more ability to open up the playbook. Um, you already saw a little bit of it last year. Uh, running some zone read with, with Hooker, uh, bring more quarterback power, because uh, he's not afraid to run over a defense. He can, he can truck kids, or, uh, you know, truck players. Um, and you saw some, some misdirection where they'd roll out Hooker one way and then throw back to a wide-open receiver or tight end on the other half of the field. So I think you saw a small sample. I think you're going to see more creativity. Uh, the offensive line will allow for that. And, yeah, I think you're right on. I think Hooker definitely is the top five ACC quarterback, has as much a chance as the other guys to to surge up the ranks um definitely above Pickett. we've already seen his first to second year transition and to his third year and now we're into his fourth year i don't see why that would change overnight so yeah i'm i'm very intrigued by it i'm excited for, for virginia tech to finally have some stability there and uh to to continue to build around it now brett you you just mentioned earlier when we were talking about quarterbacks derrick king is a highlight reel of the package and I think that what we saw at Houston certainly confirms that to be true. However, you look at this Miami team, and for context here, you do have Miami ranked number two in the Coastal, number 21 overall. That's ahead of Virginia Tech. This is a Miami team that, in their final three games last year, took losses to Florida International, Duke, and Louisiana Tech. Why do you think that, I mean... what about Derek King and what other than Derek King do you believe will be enough to lift this Miami team from a season that literally spiraled into turmoil to being a top 25 team going into this year? Yeah, this, this is a fair question. I'm, before the, the, the podcast listeners turn off, I want to be able to explain this um, because I'm not one of those that just looks at the brand name. Uh, of the program and, and pencils them in for higher rankings. You see that across the country with teams like USC, Nebraska, uh, you know, Texas, you know, are they back, that kind of stuff. But with Miami, uh, yeah, that was, that was rock bottom, I think, for, for a program to close out the season with two non-AQ losses, uh, getting embarrassed by Duke. Uh, they, they, they've been really strong on defense uh, under Manny Diaz. It's been you know, a top 10, top five unit year in and year out, and that continued last year. Um, and it's going to continue again this year with what, what could be the best pass rush in the country. You have uh, Gregory Rousseau, returning first-team All-American, uh, and second in sacks only behind Chase Young last year. You have him. They bring in uh, the AAC Player of the Year, Quincy Roche, uh, at the other defensive end spot. So you have both ends locked in. Jalen Phillips, a former number one recruit in the country in 2017. He's now in from UCLA, back and healthy. So, I mean, you have so much firepower at defensive end, it's crazy. So, uh, I really think the defense will, will continue to be a top 20, top 10-ish unit. 
but the difference being that finally I think they might have fixed the offense. It's been brutal the last couple of years. Um, you know, it's been a quarterback circus. They've been rotating three or four different guys in. Nobody can uh, hold it down. They had Tate Martell in there for a series. It was just a disaster. But but now what I really like is the, the Rhett Lashley hire. He's had success with, um, you know, alongside Gus Malzahn at Auburn, back all the way to the Arkansas high school ranks. He has a trusted system. And now you bring in this wild card, this, you know, he used to be on the Heisman preseason list, Derek King. Uh, I mean, he, he's, he's very electric. I think he'll be able to unlock a lot of the offense. But major question marks do still uh, reside at, at offensive line. I mean, that's been a terrible, terrible unit. Probably the nation's worst right up there with Louisville. Um, so that's got to get shored up. Another wild card is that they have to install this new offense in a short offseason with like two out of 15 spring practices, no summer, and looking like a very shortened fall camp. So there are certainly question marks. I, I, I think it's very tight with Virginia Tech. They do get somewhat of a schedule boost uh, where they, they're able to play Florida State and Wake Forest, who I have lower, both those teams lower than the two opponents, Virginia Tech draws from the Atlantic. So in a razor-thin margin, um, I'm leaning with Miami. Brett, I, I'm, I'm interested in the macro sense here in the ACC. When you look at the entire conference, obviously Tech fans want Virginia Tech to be at the top of the ACC. What's the single most important thing that Virginia Tech needs to improve on in their program if they are going to become one of the best programs in the ACC every single season and legitimately competing with Clemson, even if not winning, legitimately competing with Clemson for an ACC title? Well, it's kind of the boring answer, but the, the real answer, it, it, it's recruiting. I mean, that's the backbone of a program. Um, now, I think, let me explain that. I think with recruiting, do the services miss on a, on a player here and there? Yeah, that, that happens all the time. It's not a perfect science. But when you start to look at 20 or 25 commits in a class, and then when you look at four or five classes stacked into each other, you know, 85 to 100 scholarship players, uh, these things are more right than wrong in aggregate. So, um, but from that point on, all right, so you sign a great class, you start to stack some great classes. You got to be able to develop that into wins on the field and uh, into pro prospects and continue that, that pipeline going. Uh, you got to have schemes that work and, uh, you know, culture, all these buzzwords. I mean, they're, they're cheesy, but they really matter. Um, but with it, you can have all that, all that stuff, but without that recruiting pipeline, it doesn't matter. So uh, what really is kind of scary for me, if I'm putting Virginia Tech sunglasses on here, is what's happening at UNC. Because as a state, that's, uh, you know, that's becoming more of a high school hotbed than it used to be. It's kind of, whether it be a demographic or population shift, uh, that is becoming... It's also a, a state a, that targeted. Tech was pulling from hard in the last two years, and they seem to have really fallen off there. Yeah, it's almost like Mac Brown and his staff, they put up the, the state borders there and they're locking it in. I mean, I went back and looked at this. So under Larry Fedora, I mean, it was open season for out-of-state programs, Virginia Tech being a leading candidate. Uh, they were only able to, this is UNC, they were only able to hold in 13% of the blue chippers uh, over that 10-year span. But now with Mac Brown, they're locking in 80%. 80% of the blue chips are currently committed to Mac Brown's 2021 class. So, I mean, that doesn't hurt just uh, Virginia Tech. That hurts Clemson. That hurts Georgia. That hurts all the power, you know, the powers in the region. So that's concerning for me on two fronts. First, you got to play against this team that's going to be putting out top five, top 10 classes every year. But then, you're losing a key pipeline too. So um, not to mention another regional power you're, you're in a lot of recruiting battles with is Penn state. Um, and, you know, they yep. were down yep. at the beginning of the, beginning of the decade with, with sanctions and 
uh, limitations and such. But now that looks to be a top 10 program year in and year out. So, um, and then I don't even know how Maryland's pulling it off too, but that's another regional program that seems to be inking solid classes. So there's more competition in that mid-Atlantic uh, DMV and, and now North Carolina region than there used to be. Um, so, yeah, that, that's the difference. you got to get the recruiting up there into the top 15, top 20, year in and year out, and, um, and, then, uh, and then put these offensive and defensive coordinators to work with their schemes. Because I think those are fine. It's just got to get that next caliber of athlete if you want to compete for ACC and playoffs. Hey, Brett, on the Atlantic side of the division, obviously Clemson is far and away. I mean, this kind of goes for the entire conference. Clemson is far and away the, the best team in the conference and one of the best teams in the country, and they have just been running away with the conference year in and year out. But, you know, on the Atlantic side of the conference, you know, Louisville and Florida State have both made recent new hires. Obviously, Scott Satterfield had a pretty successful year one. Kind of remains to be seen what Norvell's going to do in year one, but he had pretty successful returns at Memphis. So, I'm, I'm curious what you think about Louisville and Florida State moving forward, and which team do you think is more likely uh, to have more success and maybe compete with a team like Clemson in the next five years? Would that be Louisville, in your opinion, or would that be Florida State under Norvell? Ooh, uh, oh, that's tough. I think for 2020 alone, um, and I, I, I don't want to keep bringing this up, but it's so true. I mean, with, with no spring ball, shortened summer and shortened fall, I look to the, the coaching continuity, the roster continuity, Louisville already went through that transition last offseason. So they're getting all that second-year bonus, all that young offensive firepower's back. Now, yeah, there are some major holes defensively and offensive line-wise, but I like what Louisville has as a program in 2020 compared to Florida State now having to go through all that, that transition with literally no practice. And uh, I don't know. I mean, I don't know how that's going to look. Uh, it's James Blackman's fourth year as a starter or, you know, parts of four years. It's his fourth straight new offensive scheme and coordinator to, to learn from. So, that's just that's not a formula for success. It's going to be tough in 2020. But you know, if I had to bet on this five years from now, who would be the bigger threat of a program? I'd have to say Florida State, just given their location, given their you know their their resources, their recruiting trends. Um, they're they're able to recruit a different caliber of player. Uh, you know, on average. Now last year's class was kind of weak, but you know if you look back 10, 20 years, the better predictor is going to be that Florida State's going to have solid blue chip talent while Louisville might have to rely on some outlier schemes and get lucky with a few coordinator hires like they just did with Satterfield and, and Ledford because let's be honest I mean Louisville does not have the same budget or you know prestige that others have if Satterfield you know is an incredible hire for two or three years he'll be plucked by one of the blue bloods so um, you know that's not to say that I think 2020 I'd lean Louisville but five-year trend it'd be, you'd have to go Florida State looking five years down the road. Just It's just numbers. Brett, last question we got for you here, and this might be a good way, possibly, to leave uh, the Hokie faithful on a good note here. UVA obviously defeated Virginia Tech in the final regular season game, took back the Commonwealth Cup for the first time in many, many years, breaking a cherished Virginia Tech streak. Bryce Perkins gone, Joe Reed gone, the list goes on and on. Tell us a little bit about UVA and how confident are you, if you're confident, that Virginia Tech will be able to take back the Commonwealth Cup this year? Yeah, I'm pretty confident in that, that uh, that, this, uh, that the Cup's going to go back to Blacksburg this year. Um, you know, Bryce Perkins really meant so much to that program. When you watch them on tape or even look at the numbers, I mean, he was producing a ton of rushing yards too. I think it was something like 16 to 20 carries per game. 
Um, I mean, that's, he was almost like the leading running back too at times. So uh, when you lose a, a dual threat and just such a, you know, productivity guy like that, it's going to be tough to replace overnight. Uh, that, and then also what we saw a little bit in the secondary last year, um, when they took some injuries, um, and uh, especially, you know, when Bryce Hall was knocked out for the season against Miami, from that point on, this defense really took a step back. They were, in the first half of the year, top 25 uh, in pass defense. After his injury, after Hall went down, they fell to the bottom five. I mean, it was a huge drop-off, 80th percentile down to 8th percentile. So, you know, and obviously he's gone. So there's a lot of star power to replace. They don't have the same recruiting backbone that some of these other coastal teams have. Um, you know, Mendenhall, just by nature, I think he's a great hire and um, a great developer, but that's just it. It's a developmental program. So you need, you know, multiple years to build up to one of those coastal runs. It's not going to be an annual thing. So I think Virginia Tech has the star power. They have the continuity from last year. They're not replacing a generational quarterback at their program like UVA is. Um, and I think Virginia Tech gets it done. Well, Brent, thank you so much for joining us today. And, you know, I, I've read at least the entire ACC section of your preview. And I and just folks, I'm going to tease this a little bit. Get your pick six preview because Brett has a lot of interesting predictions on the national side as well, especially looking towards that college football playoff that I think a lot of fans would be really surprised. He's got some really solid explanations on them, but, but where can our listeners get your preview and get more great content from you? Yeah. Thanks for that praise. I appreciate that. And uh, you can find me at, uh, at pick six previews on Twitter and uh, pick six previews.com. That's all spelled out. And, and on the site there, I have a couple sample teams because I know it's a newer product. I have a couple samples up there so you can see the level of detail I go into for every program, uh, the, the set of stack graphics that I include, you know, the recruiting trends, the game grader formula, the, the coordinator grades. It, it's pretty in-depth. But, um, you know, sample teams, testimonials in there. And then also uh, to the listeners here, I want to give back a discount code if you're interested. Uh, just type in Hokies at checkout. Simple enough. Um, you get a nice discount there. So, uh, yeah, we'd love to connect with uh, you know, as many Virginia Tech fans as possible on Twitter and uh, on the site. So uh, thanks again for having me, guys. We'll have to talk again uh, this fall. Hopefully we get some games to talk about. That's Absolutely. awesome, man. Thanks, Brad. Thank you so much for listening to the Hokie Hangover podcast, as always, which is sponsored by Main Street Pharmacy. Main Street Pharmacy in downtown Blacksburg, the best pharmacy in all of the NRV. If you hate Matt Ryan, head on over to Main Street Pharmacy. Jeremy will take care of you like no big chain pharmacy will. That's going to do it for us. If you like what you're listening to, please subscribe on all the podcast platforms. Leave us a nice little review. We do appreciate it. And, of course, follow us on Twitter at Hokey Hangover and recommend it to all of your friends. I am Andrew Alex. For Ricky LeBlue, Mike McDaniel, and our guest, Brett Ciancia, we thank you for joining us. We'll talk to you soon. As always, go Hokies.